it's like I view today as like the first step toward us kind of getting back to normal again. Um, actually, more correctly, the second step. Uh, the first step happened last Thursday, and that is football is back, of course, of course, right? And so, um, you know, by the way, I, I heard the Chiefs played. Anybody know how they did? They won? Is that right? Tell me about it. And, uh, yeah, I can't believe, actually, the number of people that I talk to that sometime, somehow think that we're, we're actually doing preseason games right now. Actually, to be real honest, I think the Texans thought we were doing a preseason game. Oh. But anyway. So we are on week two of a series of sermons concerning the book of Hebrews, taking the the book of Hebrews. And today's message that we're going to be looking at has to do with um, the second point is that Jesus, Jesus Christ was better than the angels, better than the angels. And so what we want to do to begin with is go to our text. Our text that we're actually looking at is Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. However, it just jumps right in the middle of the thought. So I feel like I got no choice but to back up a little bit. So uh, anyway, when we look at our text here, we're going to start back in verse 1. It says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the world. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He has made purification of sins and he has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they so here we find jesus is called much better he is better than the angels now i feel like before we can actually begin to open this up and to, to understand the significance of all of this what we want to do is actually take a step back and get a wider picture of the the book of revelation or the book of revelation the book of hebrews and i know that brandle did this in his message last week so a little bit of this is going to be preparation uh, um preparation repeat but uh Anyway, we look into the book of Hebrews and you find here that the entire focus of the book of Hebrews can come down to one word. Okay, one word. And that is the word better. Better. And that is that Jesus is better. It is a word that's actually used 13 times in the book of Hebrews. And as you go through this book, what you're going to find yourself is bombarded with this message. This message that ought to crescendo, crescendo in our minds. 
Boy, this morning, uh, um, a little out of practice, I guess. It ought to crescendo in our minds. As last week, Brandel ended up addressing the idea that, that Jesus was better than the prophets. Okay? Today, talking about how he's better than the angels. And then it moves to talk about how he's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than Abraham. Jesus offers us a better hope, a better covenant, better promises, better sacrifice, a better resurrection, the better law. And he was better than Abel. Over and over and over. Are you feeling like you're being bombarded yet? Do you see the message? This is who Jesus was. Now, what is the point of all that? You know, is this, is this, is this just a, like a transcript of Jesus Hall of Fame acceptance speech that we're, we're reading here? Or is it something more? Okay. When we look here at the uh, book of Hebrews, I'm going to skip uh, there down to chapter 10. We find here the, the context of the book of Hebrews through which uh, uh, we find the purpose of, of, of Jesus' exaltation over and over in this book. So here we find chapter 10, verse 32 says, But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and, and tribulation, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. You accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. How about that one? Knowing that you yourselves have a better possession. That is a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw away what you grabbed onto. Don't throw away your faith. Don't throw away your hope in Jesus Christ. Your hope in heaven. Don't throw that away which has a great reward for you have need of endurance. Don't give up so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And so the message here to the, to the people there in the, in, in Jerusalem, to these Jewish Christians is why are you throwing away your faith? I mean, look how far you've come. Look at what you've endured. Why are you quitting now? Especially when the finish line is just right around the corner. Especially when you think about the fact Jesus Christ is so much better. He is so much better than what you were wanting to go back to. And so, that message to those people who were struggling is over and over, Jesus is better. He's better. What he has is better. Don't you forget it. Don't, don't ever give up on that. And so here we find in, in this book, Jesus, as he's being exalted over and over and over again, almost what we would call a doxology. Now, Back when I was in high school, I was attending a, it was a Christian church back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and that's where my roots are, and 
they had this practice not bad by the way we were talking about uh, a congregation that was anywhere from five to seven hundred people and they would uh, they would pass the lord's supper and then after that they would pass the uh, the offering plates and then what they would do is the elders and deacons would gather at the back of the building and unanimously i mean at the same time simultaneously they would all everybody would all rise to your feet and that organ would hit that note that note which would put tremors running through you and everybody would be getting singing praise god oh lots of vibrato okay praise god from whom all blessings flow now by the way as somebody in high school i almost hated to admit it i loved that I love that. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. As in angels. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And that song gained a significance in my life okay it gained a significance as i began seeing god doing special things for me god working in in, in special ways for me enough that you'd stop and say yeah that was god and my mind would immediately go to that song but of course, the problem is with that song is that everybody else thinks that song is kind of like old and stuffy and stale, right? So, so anyway, what I heard, this is back in, in high school, was what was called the new doxology. The new doxology. And today, this is what goes through my mind over and over when I think of what God has done for me. What Jesus has done for me. Praise God, praise God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Sometimes you'll catch me singing that. And that's why. And here we find a doxology. That's what this is called, a doxology of Jesus. Now, by the way, what does the word doxology mean? It is, by the way, this word is an amazing contrast. It's actually one of those, those compound words, okay? And it begins by looking at the, the first part is the Greek word for glory which is the greek word doxa but then they couple that together with a suffix a latin suffix right what is an ology 
as in biology, the study. So it is a study of the glory. It is a study of the glory of Jesus. And we, we already read the uh, verse 3. It says, he is the radiance of his glory. The exact representation of his nature. Skip ahead, chapter 2. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with, crowned with glory and honor. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let's get to the end of the book. The end of the book, here we find all of these things, the same theme coming through. It says, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his work, to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So are you getting this theme, this message? We're, we're talking about a written version of the triumphal entry. As they sang out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And looking at this, now we come back and say, here, Jesus is better than the angels. He is better than the angels. And what we want to do is um, look at, um, oh, um, I didn't put down the verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4. Let me back up and read it again. It says, uh, having become more as much better than the angels, he has inherited a more excellent name than them. So here we find then Jesus has a better name than the angels. Not because his name is, you know, cooler, you know, being called Jesus. You know, everybody has a way of, you know, rating names. Tina despises the fact that we live on a street called Hydraulic. Why can't we live on a street with a cool name? You know, you know Hydraulic, really? Well, anyway... No, it's, it's so much more than that. Um, and so here we find um, Jesus it has a better name than the angels. Now, when we look at the, the idea of the angels, we find these angels um, popping up at various times through the Old Testament, right? Remember Abraham and Sarah had the angels come and visit them, promise them that one year later, within the year, that they would give birth to a son. And there Sarah laughed. Remember that one? Remember Jacob when he's fleeing from his brother Esau and uh, here he is in the area of Bethel and as he's there, he ends up having a vision at night and all of these angels coming down from heaven, from the ladder, ascending and descending. But then more than that, when he's coming back, now having to face his brother Esau, and he comes face to face with his angel. He's like, buddy, you're not leaving me. I don't care. You are not going until I get your blessing. And the angel says, well, I've, I've, I've got things to do. I can't, I don't have time. And the Jacob's, no, 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 you're not leaving. I want that blessing. And what we find is them wrestling together, wrestling for that blessing. 
and we find Moses. Where the angel of God appeared before Moses in the form of the burning bush, at the burning bush. We don't realize many times in our minds, at least, that that was an angel there that happened, or that made that happen. And so here was an angel then also going before the, the people of Israel as he leads them to the promised land in the form of the uh, pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And so the angel we find over and over and over again through the Old Testament. And here we find uh, another verse that talks about the fact that uh, the angels, their presence wasn't just a come and go thing. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. And so we find their presence was far more uh, uh, prominent than just those select incidents. And then my favorite verse when it comes to the angels. Here are the Assyrians and Sennacherib have come and they have surrounded the city of Jerusalem and here is Hezekiah and Hezekiah goes to God in prayer and it's like what do I do and there uh, uh, Sennacherib has his um, servant um, Rabshakeh come and read this absolutely grotesque trash talking uh, um, uh, threat against these people and God answered the prayer of Hezekiah. And it says, Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 36, the angel of the Lord went out and struck. Stop right there. Let's back up and read it again because I don't want you to miss it. The angel, singular, <laughs> singular, singular, went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men arose early in the morning, behold, all of these were dead. And by the way, I love the King James on this. I, you go back to the King James version on this and it says, and when they woke up, they were all dead. <laughs> I'd say that's not too bad. I mean, I don't even know that that angel had to roll up his sleeves to do that but here we find that this angel was was there alive working it says um in hebrews that jesus had a better name a better name than the angels and a more excellent name than them now by the way what he does here then is he spends the next, like, nine or ten verses. And what he does is over and over and over, specifically nine times, he quotes various verses from the Old Testament, which prophesied that Jesus would be better than the angels. So nine times this happens. I'm just going to read the first two and then go to the last. It says, um, for which of the angels did he ever say, you are my, you are my son. You see, Jesus had a better name than them. What was that name? The son of God. You are my son. 
Today I have begotten you. Now, by the way, interestingly enough, you can go back to the Old Testament and find several places where the angels are referred to as sons of God. But there is only one son of God and there is only one begotten son of God. And again, here's another verse. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Verse six. And when he again brings a firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Uh, There's verse seven. Yeah, let's just keep reading. Uh, And of the angels, he says, he who made the wind, the angels wins and his ministers, a flame of fire. His ministers. These angels were ministers, as in servants. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Now, verse 14. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits? They're just, these angels are just servants. Sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation they were servants but jesus is the son of god have this attitude in yourselves which was also in christ jesus where are we going there we go have this attitude in yourself which was also in christ jesus who Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to hung on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man. Where am I? Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, at his name, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, whatever that means, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has A better name. See, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He is the beginning. He is the end. With all that said, there is only one title that I believe in my mind that Jesus longs to hear even more than those. He longs to hear that he is your Lord. You remember when Jesus appeared before Thomas? Reach here your finger. See my hand. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas said those words. My Lord and my God. That's what Jesus longs to hear. See, that's the significance. My Lord and my God. So is he your Lord? Let's take a litmus test. How about it? Let's go back and look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. 
and ask yourself as we read through here the same message over and over. Is Jesus my Lord? And it begins by saying, for the love of Christ controls us. controls your life is he your lord the love of christ controls us having concluded this that one died for all therefore all died therefore all died as in we we died and he who died for all so that they might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf therefore From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... He's a new creature. New creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation namely that that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and he is committed to us this this message the word of reconciliation therefore we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal to us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who no, knew nor sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Is Jesus your Lord? He has a better name better name than any of the angels but we move ahead and we find out that uh oh i'm pushing the wrong button there we go there's also a better salvation that jesus offers chapter 2 verse 1 and it says for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard you know what because jesus is exalted hey we got to pay attention to this He is exalted. We must pay much closer attention to what we've heard so that we do not get too busy. That we don't get distracted. That we don't drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord and it was confirmed, it was confirmed by those who heard. With every one of those miracles they did, that message was confirmed. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. You see, Jesus offers us a salvation that we cannot just neglect. That we can't allow ourselves to drift away from. Now, by the way, you go back in the angels. The law which came through angels offered a salvation too. 
And here is Stephen. Here is Stephen talking to those who would be stoning him shortly. Said, you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Hmm. Hmm. They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. How to win friends and influence people? Who received the law? They received the law ordained by angels. And yet did not keep it. So there is a there is a law, a salvation that was offered as a result of the word from these angels. But this stands in contrast. See, there is two salvations. The first, the first came with promises in the Old Testament, came with punishment as a result of it. But it was a salvation of compliance. Do this. Don't do that. Can I contrast? I want to show you something better. Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses, trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, you too all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh. By the way, that's God saying that. We all lived now, by the way, that's not saying that you each had a, you know, a sugar baby underneath, uh, under each arm going on here. What we're talking about is that living for just our desires, living for ourselves. And as a result, we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, but God, here it is. What God offers, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace why would he do this because you're so beautiful and he just loves you so much because you are so talented and you make him look good right (laughs) oh so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. This is what we have offered. 
Now, as we take our minds back to the people who were undergoing this kind of persecution, the kind of persecution that we could only imagine, we have to ask ourselves, what's the point? This is so much better, what Jesus has done for us. But because of that, he goes to an object lesson. Jesus gave us an object lesson, and we didn't even know it. God was there working in circumstances for an object lesson that we might learn from, and that is this. Let's go back. Hebrews, the end of the book of Hebrews, he says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. You know, even the Levites have no right to eat this. The Jewish priests, they have no right to, to, to partake of this. We have, a, we have a different kind of salvation, a different kind of sacrifice, an altar for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin. In the Old Testament, they did that. And they are, those animals then, they slit the, the throat, blood is poured out right there on the altar, right? Then they take those animals and do what with them? They go take and they burn them outside the camp. Now, other than the fact that it's probably pretty gross and disgusting, that why, what's the point of them burning him outside of the camp? Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. They took him outside the city to suffer. Do we catch the significance of that yet? What's the point? Well, they didn't want to mess up all the, the beautiful city, right? Oh, it's so much more. Because he says there in verse 13, so let us go out to him outside the camp. Let us go outside the camp bearing his reproach. You see, the salvation that Jesus offered has demands. And that demands is that we must as well leave our camp our camp of comfort, our camp of security. For the Jews, it meant leaving that camp of Judaism, that camp of the Old Testament system, that salvation by the, by the, that was offered through these angels. It meant leaving that and then being willing to go outside and suffer reproach, suffer alone. Jesus said, if we will confess him before our Father who is in heaven, if we confess him, he will confess us before our Father and his Father who is in heaven. But if we deny him, he will deny us before his Father in heaven. He offers a better salvation, one that's even willing, worthy of suffering reproach for. He is also a better helper. 
We already read the verse there in uh, chapter 1, verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits, these angels? (laughs) These angels were there, what? To render service for the sake of those who would inherit salvation. That is for us. That's what the job of these angels were, right? But here we find a contrast, and that is Jesus. Jesus as a helper, a helper so much better than what the angels had to offer. But we do see him. Jesus. Now, by the way, stop right there. How many of these Jews do you think in their life had actually seen an angel? Probably not very many of them, right? Um, I mean, we remember like the angel appeared before Zacharias. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There, there was very, very few accounts. And he says as the contrast to that, we see Jesus. But we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor. So that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things. And bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of our salvation through sufferings. Jesus said it was fitting for him to become like us. For both he who sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all from one Father. For which cause he's not ashamed to call us brothers. I don't know why. I still have a hard time in saying, hey, Brother Jesus, how you doing? But he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children, the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children shared in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise took part of the same. That through death, that through death, he might render Powerless, him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give help, help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham, the true descendants of Abraham. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Therefore, he had to be made like in his brethren in all things so that he might become so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. You see. We see again in this 
form of a contrast what Jesus did. Jesus didn't come in a flame of fire. He came like one of us. He came in a stable. He was laid in a manger. He was born into poverty. He experienced trials, temptations, sorrows, and sufferings. Jesus became like us so that he could offer us help and be a better helper. I saw a quote. They say don't ever do this when you read a quote because people's attention spans are so short. You know, the bottom line is you lose them, you put them to sleep. Blah, blah, blah. It's five lines long. Five lines. Can you stay with me? Five lines. I read this thing and I was just blown away. Amidst the lowering tempests and the gathering storms of demonical fury and satanic malice, he marched directly onward until baptized with sufferings. He oppressed his oppressed and careworn frame sunk under the tremendous pressure of his mental agonies. And his great heart literally burst under the crushing and overwhelming influence of the incurred responsibilities. He could endure no more, but calmly said, it is finished. And then he expired. Jesus suffered so that we could understand that we have we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with us. We have one who has been tempted in all things like we are, and yet he's able to come to our aid. So, what's the significance of all of that? You know what? To these Jews who were fearing their life, for fearing their life, for, for even a showing up at the assembly of God, they, we find here to them, he's saying loud and clear, I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to be afraid. And I am here to offer you help. I am here for you. This whole sermon is empty. Unless we take this and we take this and we apply it to us in our circumstances. And we look around us today and we have to understand Jesus is there to be our helper. I was watching something. A panel of these doctors were talking about this pandemic to come. Not the pandemic that exists. The pandemic that is coming. The coming in the form of 
mental anxiety and depression. And the first thing they said is what is so scary is nobody is talking about it. You see, this is going to have an effect. This is part of why I'm so glad that we are coming together, even in this limited way, as a church, because we need, we need one another. And you know what? So this is a real thing. This is a real problem. And by the way, and by this, am I saying that we're all going to go nuts? No, no. But you know what? Sometimes there are factors in, that are in play that we don't ever stop to think about. You know what? We're taking, we're taking our, our families and we are cooping them up in the house. We've got kids that are so afraid to go outside and play because they're afraid they're going to come home with something and make grandma die. They're so afraid to even go outside. We've got kids who are locked down in their bedroom, doing nothing but playing video games all day long. And what's going to be the result of that? Now, by the way, in taking them, locking them down inside their homes, we are doing something we never even imagined possible. We are sending them through a vitamin starvation because we're taking them out of the sunlight from which we get vitamin D well does that mean anything to you the tie between vitamin D and mental depression and anxiety is documented over and over again And so just even being cooped up inside the house has an effect on us mentally. Now let's go one step further. Here we are. We're taking our kids and we're locking them down and we're taking them out of school. And you know how many kids, the only time that they ever, 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 ever get any vitamin D outside of the sun is through milk. And the only place they ever drink milk is at school. The number two cause of death among teenagers today is suicide. And you know what? I think every single one of us knows what the turmoil inside of us has been like going through this time. Are we looking out and looking around? And how this is affecting everybody else. I dare say. I dare say. That we could look around even this room right now. And find people who thought it's not worth it. What's the point? I, I, this isn't the life that I love. I Forget it. What's the point? And decide they want to end it all. You know what? From the very first day of this Corona thing, I have been out in the public every single day and I I don't have any fear of getting any kind of virus. But you know what I do fear? I do fear the coming pandemic of depression and anxiety 
and what its effects are on the church. Go out and start looking at statistics. It'll scare you to death. Do you realize half of all newlywed couples are splitting up within the first few months? Months! Half! This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus offers help in. Therefore, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting, casting all your anxiety on Him. All your anxiety. Not on a bottle. Not on a, a, a bottle of pills. Not on some other form of escape. Casting your, all of your anxiety on Him. Because he cares for you. And he wants to help. And what he offers for help is so much better than the angels. Jesus Christ is exalted. But we have to exalt him in our minds. We have to exalt him in our heart and realize he's so much better than anything else this world might have to offer. All right, thank you, Chris. Um, you know, I, I think about uh, 